Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR, maybe the Lone Star Daily News up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chick, Annie, along with my debonair, colorful, and courageous co-host, Curtis <laughs> C.S. Bennett, who is battling to get back into the chat room. So we're having some technical difficulties here on Blog Talk Radio, and so we'll see how it goes. Good afternoon, Curtis. Hey, I'm I'm fighting a good battle. I think I may win this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got ourselves a really exciting show today. We've got some great guests. We've got Nicole Jenkins. Uh, She's got the Nikki J experience. You also know her on Back on the Block TV show that she did. Uh, We also, fingers crossed, have... um, Mark Keith Robinson, he back in, uh, was it February or April or something, had that yeah. YouTube video that went viral uh, talking about his gun rights. Uh, and he has a website called Majority Matters USA, uh, which is a really excellent website. And then we've got the Gosnell movie that just was released on October 12th. It's sitting number nine in the ratings, despite the fact lamestream media will not talk about it. So we're going to have film film McAleer on. He is the producer of the Gosnell movie. Uh, he'll be joining us. And then we're going to end the show with a gentleman running for Senate up in Maine, uh, Brad Farron. Uh, so we've got a blockbuster uh, show coming back on. Uh, looks like Kel was in the chat room and she disappeared. So if anyone's trying to get in uh, to the chat room, uh, I don't know what's going on here, guys, but Blog Talk Radio is acting up again. A lot to talk about, Curtis. A lot to do. Yeah, I had to. Um, I had to, to alt control delete myself out and um, work my way back in. So they may try the same thing, and hopefully they'll you know rejoin us. Ah, okay. So it looks like the chat room is starting to fill up, and we're also up live on Facebook and YouTube. So welcome everyone that's listening and watching. Uh, Anyone that watches the show knows that we do start off the show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And this one is not going to be an easy one for me because it's going to be from the words of the wife of this fallen hero. And uh, 
when I was just simply reading it, I was tearing up, and so it's going to be a difficult one. Today's show dedication is going to go out to Corporal Eugene Cole of the Somerset County Sheriff's Office in Maine. His end of watch was Wednesday, April 25th of this year. And this is from the Officer Down Memorial page that you can find at odmp.org. And it reads simply, Corporal Eugene Cole was shot and killed along Route 2 in Norwich Walk by a suspect who was out on bond for a previous weapons charge. The suspect shot Corporal Cole, then stole his fully marked patrol car between 1 and 2 a.m. He drove the cruiser to a nearby store and robbed it before fleeing again. He then abandoned the patrol car nearby and fled on foot. After a four-day manhunt in the area, the 29-year-old suspect was apprehended. Corporal Cole had served with the Somerset County Sheriff's Office for 13 years. He was survived by his wife of 41 years and four sons, one of whom also serves with the agency. Now, when I do the research for these fallen heroes, I do in-depth research, and there's not enough time to fully describe this man. But I will go in the words of his wife. And she wrote on Facebook, Tuesday afternoon around 2.30, Gene got up from his recliner and told me he had to get ready for work. He was on duty at 4. He was always ready for work at least an hour early in case he was called out. He scuffled to the bathroom. Within two minutes, he was back in his chair using his electric razor and shaving his face. He knows how much it annoyed me when he did this, and he did it every single day. Yet, he would look at me with an expression of fake shock on his face while I was glaring at him and say, what, as if he didn't know. Then he continued to shave and place the razor on the end table beside his chair, something else that really annoyed me. In a few minutes, he, bedded, he headed back to the bathroom to shower. He then continued to get ready, putting on his vest, putting on his uniform, making sure all his brass was just so, and putting on his ever-so-shiny boots. He'd check himself in the mirror several times before telling me, Okay, hon, I gotta go. He, he gave me, he gave Miss a hug and kissed goodbye and said, I love you. I said, really? You're going to leave that razor sitting on the stand in the living room? That's gross. Put it away later. I told him I loved him and to be safe, as I did every day, and his response as it is every day, absolutely. I watched him and waved as he drove away. My thoughts quickly went to the razor. I started to pick it up and put it away, but thought, no. A 61-year-old man should not need someone to pick up after him. I left it there. Somewhere between 6 and 6.30, Gene returned home for a few minutes. He talked about the full moon and how it brought, out, brought all the crazies out. We talked a little, and abruptly, he gave me a hurried kiss and said he had to go. On his way out, he spied the razor still sitting where he left it and gave me a look like he just got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Anyway, we said our ritual goodbye, ending with me saying or yelling, be safe, and him responding, absolutely. 
The next time I saw my husband, he was lying in a casket. The last five days have been the purest form of hell and torture. The waiting when they couldn't find his body. The finality when they did. And the uncertainty of the days that followed. The overwhelming support has been phenomenal. From a kind, total stranger knocking on my door and saying, you don't know me, but I knew him. She gave some flowers and a quick hug and left. To the massive outpouring of public support, it is truly humbling. And I need you all to know that it really has helped. I spend most of my time alone reading any and all posts regarding Jean and reading every word of every article in the paper. The Morning Sentinel has been kind enough to deliver the paper to my house every morning, even though I don't have a subscription, which is pretty awesome, considering when they came to the house, I rudely and loudly told them to go away. As I said, I read everything. I have read every single word. As sad as it makes me, And how hard it is. It touches my heart and gives it that tiny lift so desperately needs right now. So to you all, a heartfelt thank you. To everyone who has donated their services. And so many of you have. You may think it's a tiny gesture. That's it. The least you can do. Believe me. To me and to my family. It is the greatest gift we could ever receive. So to all of you, a heartfelt thank you. And law enforcement, words haven't been invented yet to even come close to describing what they're doing for me. I managed to get myself, with my son Joe by my side, to the command post on Thursday evening. I tried to personally thank each and every person, and I hope I got most of them. But I was blown away by how many were there. So many. And they were all there working diligently for my husband. When I couldn't speak, Sheriff Dale Lancaster spoke for me. He got their attention, and within seconds, that place went from a bustling center of desperate activity to complete silence. I tried to speak, to tell them all how truly heartfelt my appreciation was, and I'm still not sure if anything came out. Once again on Saturday morning, I went to the command post with my son David. Again, I thanked everyone I could get my hands on as David led me out back, disrupting a meeting so I could talk to the sheriff. The sheriff saw me put the meeting on hold and came immediately to see what I needed, and he took care of it. My son David has been a bulldozer this week. He is always going before me, clearing the path, so when I walk through, there are no obstacles. Absolute incredible. My other kids, Phil, Joe, and Jill, have been there every minute a couple of times. I had to kick them out. I know they're going through so much heartache, but they, David included, have managed to sit with me through my, quote, 
bitch days. And those days can be pretty awful. So thanks, guys. Joe's wife, Lori, has been great, thinking of everything I need before I know I need it. There are so, so many people who I need to thank, including the media, who have respectfully left me alone during this. And there's no way it could possibly be done here. But you know who they but you know who are, and hopefully I will get to you eventually. It will never be forgotten. I am the wife of Corporal Eugene Cole. I am not a widow. I always told him the the two death do us part thing wasn't going to get him out of anything. I am not a victim. With the help and support of my family, my community, and my country, I will get through this. I have to adjust to what will become the new normal. When you look at me, you may see the sorrow in my eyes. The reflection of a gold badge with the number 1312 across it. I have to remember, every law enforcement in this country has lost a brother. I will ask all of you to please give all the officers the respect they deserve. Thank them when you can. Let their families know the sacrifices they make be appreciated. For me, I will always proudly be the wife of Somerset County Sheriff Corporal Eugene Cole. I will hold my head high as I work my way through this. When I'm home alone or with family, where Jean is simply a husband, dad, and Bambi, I will mourn maybe forever. I know he has many great things to a great many people, but to me, he was mine. May you rest in peace. My husband, my best friend, you are loved. Let your brothers in blue, black, brown, tan, or green take it from here. Corporal Eugene Cole, end of watch, April 25th, 2018. Today's show is dedicated to Corporal Eugene Cole. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, emergency services, and even prison officers. We also dedicate this show to all the brave men and women in the military from the birth of this nation through today and into the future. We dedicate it to them, this this song, Amazing Grace. May God bless each and every one.
You're listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Alone, uh, Lone Star Daily News. I forgot where the heck we are. I'll just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Oh, man. Uh, Curtis, whew, that was a hard one. Yeah, that was. That was. One. I was oh, tearing up. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. uh, we have some people trying to listen in, and they're having a hard time uh, to uh, get into the show. So I'm putting into the chat room a link to go on to uh, to listen in. So all right, I'm just telling them to try my page. All right. All right. Now she got us up on YouTube. All right, we've got a guest on the line. First one, our first victim in the batter's box. Let's welcome aboard Nicole Jenkins. Good afternoon, Nicole. How are you today? I am doing fine, and yourself? Uh, we're having one of those technical difficulty days, so bear with us. Anyway. Well, hey, I, I know how that can be. <laughs> that means that you're on fire. That means that, that your show is too hot. That's what's going on. <laughs> it means... It means the liberal trolls don't want us to be heard. That's what it means. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that happens That happens a lot. But, hey, who are we? <laughs> well, look, I'm glad Curtis booked you onto, the, onto our show here because uh, I had fun researching you. He gave me a, a bio. And, man, you are a dynamo. Uh, you've got the Nikki J experience, uh, which is at NikkiJ.com. It looks like a website that you're building up. But you've got backontheblock.org. And you're all over the place, girlfriend. Do you ever have time to breathe? You know, I, you know, you know, it's one of those things when, when you're doing something that you love and that you're so passionate about. You know, do you even worry about breathing? Does breathing even come like in your thought process? It's like you're on a mission, and, and you got to continue that mission. And right now, you know, unfortunately, the Republicans, we are under attack. Um, and so I feel like being a minority woman and, and really trying to be a trailblazer within the uh, party, I, I don't think I have time to breathe, and I don't even think I, I even worry about breathing. I worry about moving the party uh, in a in a fast-forward America that we are, uh, and, and moving us to where we need to be, having more minority engagement, um, 
speaking out to kind of the elite establishment that's against our party. You know, we have it within our party, but we all have to work together. And so I don't worry about breathing. I really don't, Annie. <laughs> God bless you, girl. You have a passion for your local neighborhood as well as for the kids, and you do a um, scholarship fund. You know, tell us about that. Yeah, so – I um, grew up in one of the roughest parts of a St. Louis city, but I also, you know, I grew up Democratic primarily raised, which majority of us that are uh, uh, African-American and and poor, we're we're usually raised, you know, Democratic. But what was a great eye-opener is a good friend, um, family's um, Clyde Cahill. Uh, He's fought against um, the Bill Clinton administration, just Clyde Cahill. Um, and my bro, uh, Randall Cahill, is on my podcast, Attorney Cahill, and his father is the one that fought against the Clinton administration. At a very early age, um, I learned about the crack cocaine sentencing guideline. I'm not trying to tell my age, but uh, he won, and he won, and he kept a poor and impoverished and primarily African-American men out of jail. Um, the sentences, it was unfair, unlawful, and unconstitutional. So I began to learn about the political process, and I said, wait a minute, we're voting Democratic, um, but it's a Democrat president that's putting us in jail. It made me really begin to think in a thing, and think about the judicial and political system. Um, he's putting us in jail. We're still poor. The education level is just, I mean, it, 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 year by year it's going down. You know, it's decreasing. Um what can I do to help, A? At that time, I didn't have the power, um, and I didn't have the money, uh, the monetary value, but I always wanted to start um, a scholarship in a nonprofit organization. I didn't want to be under anyone, like a big uh, corporation under an umbrella, because I knew what I stood for, and that doesn't mean that they're going to stand for what I stand for. So I started the foundation, um, Back on the Block, Inc., and I... I started the Nicole Jenkins Educational Fund Scholarship. So far, I've awarded five children um, at Sumner High School with scholarships. This is my second year in a row. And I also created a show that I put on ABC 30, uh, reaching 10,800 viewers, uh, bought the cheapest time slot at night, Sunday morning, and I, I, I hit it. And it was to the poverty um, within St. Louis City to let them know that, listen, you are voting Democratic, but you're still stuck in these same situations. Do not continue to run off of identity politics. How many politicians only come around when they want to, um, when it's time for them to be voted in because they know they have your vote automatically because you're a minority? So I, I, I've reached out and, and I did my own thing. And I think uh, it's it's going great for me and my podcast is Straight Talk, so that's going great because I bring it straight. And I do want more conservative um, engagement. We have to have the you know conservatives and minorities, not just minorities, but within our party as well. My goal is to do what's right by the people. Um, don't throw away the key on them and still have that connection with the poor and with uh, minorities because that's where I come from. And if you don't know who you are or where you come from outside of any party lines, you are not doing things the American way. Well, do you find from within that community you're getting pushed back because you are a conservative and not Democrat? 
You know, I get a pushback, not from the people of the community. I get a pushback from the leaders um, because they think that I'm supposed to be the status quo. I'm supposed to be who they are. And that doesn't primarily, you know, it doesn't go that way. Not with me. That's why I'm straight talk. But as far as the people, I think people are beginning to wake up and see, you know, it's not about the party. It's about what you are doing for me. And then would be educating them on things like the, uh, you know, Bill Clinton uh, administration and the 1994 guidelines where they say, hey, you don't want this prosecuting attorney in, but understand that Bill Clinton put those, he put those laws in. And, oh, by the way, it was your Joe Biden. You're Joe Biden who encouraged those laws to happen in 1994 for prosecutors to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. So I think they're beginning to look at me and say, you know what, she might be a Republican. However, I know that she genuinely cares because she mentors, because she gives back. So you can't tie my neck. You can't tie the rope around my neck because I have something to stand for. So, no, I don't get a pushback. God bless you for that. You know, I had fun watching those videos where you were on um, back on the block where you were ripping out houses and helping people repair and <laughs> and improve their homes. I had so much fun watching that. It looked like you had a blast, too. Actually, you know what? That was my house. That was the house that I purchased. So I own five homes um, in the inner city where I'm in my childhood neighborhood. And due to funding, I had to stop my project. You know, I was young. I wasn't seasoned. You know, I was just getting out there. I purchased the LRA homes from St. Louis City. Again, Democratic ran. I asked them to help me um, with this project. (laughs) Didn't get any help. So I began to do the project myself. So my whole goal for Back on the Block is to create scholarships more and more. Each year, I want to add one more scholarship to my foundation. And to create these housing situations um, where we build community. And even if you have children or not, in order to get a home from back on the block, you have to volunteer one of the local schools four hours out of the month. Um, you help me fix up the house. And I want homeowners in the impoverished neighborhoods, and I want this to be a conservative movement. I already have a plan for it. Uh, your house, though, will only be $450 a month, all electric. Wow. You help me fix it up. I go I go with volunteers, um, and you will be on a 10-year note. So you can own a home for in 10 years, $450 a month. Wow. Wow. I think yes. I'm moving to St. Louis. <laughs> well, that is, and that is something that the party is going to help me do. And I'm on a mission for them to help me. We're going to have some engagement within the poor and African American community. Uh, you know, I know we have the we have Candace Owens, we have Mark, uh, we have Deontay Johnson up in D.C. We have a, we have a lot of minorities that are coming out. You know, my goal, Annie, is to reach out to Kanye West. Nice. Maybe he'll be listening to the, the podcast here. <laughs> you never well, maybe, know. Yeah. I know that Fox. I know someone at Fox News occasionally listens in because I'll have someone on as a as a guest, and the next thing I know, within a week or two, they're up on Fox News. I had one guy within three days. He gets a, a after that he hangs up with me. The next day, he gets a call from Fox. So 
someone at Fox well, is listening, they, maybe. They, they can always call me. My number is, <laughs> as you, I can put it on your website, Fox, and whoever else can call me, because um, I am on a mission to change within the Republican Party. And, you know, I'm, I'm taking some hits, Annie. I have, you know, that I, I'm, I'm an African-American woman. You're too educated. Why would you want to be a conservative? And, it, and it's simple. Why would I want to be a Democrat? I've I've been poor my entire life. Why would I want to continue to be poor? You you show me that um, you will put our children behind bars. You showed me that the education is lacking. You have showed me that. Um, you showed me that the communities, you know, it, it it's just it's downright, you know. Uh, they are not communities. And then they say, well, you know, when Bill Clinton was in, he did uh, X, Y, and Z. Well, yeah, Bill Clinton gave everybody what they wanted and it left our country in turmoil. And is that right? So, yes, Republicans, we do take away. We give you what you can sustain and what you can handle. And I think that's with anything, with a child. You give them food that, that their bodies can nourish. So why would you give someone something that you know they can't handle? Why would you give someone a stated loan and stated deals? Yes, economy was booming, but look what it did after when people could not afford, when they never could afford. So we have to think about that as America and as Americans. Nicole. You know, it's funny because you, a, I was just going to say, you mentioned go Kane ahead, West yeah. and you mentioned Kane West and, you know, Elle magazine, something I have probably never read in my life, uh, put up a false mm-hmm. tweet this past Thursday uh, to 6.8 million followers claiming Kim Kardashian and Kane West were splitting up. But when they clicked on mm-hmm. the link, it took them to a voter registration site. Propaganda wow. here. Hey, we, the propaganda. <laughs> I mean, isn't but, but that's why. It, so people like you and I and NCS Bennett, we can be independent. And we're the media. And we are the media where we can tell it like it is. You don't own us. You can't own us. There's no propaganda with us. It's none of that. You know, we can we can actually tell it like it is. And I'm pushing for more people to be, you know, in, become independent media consultants uh, or just independent media. Just be independent media. Say what you feel. Say how you feel. And, and say what's right in your heart and what you know is right, what you know is true. Because one thing we can do, Annie and CS, we can fact check. We can fact That's check. That's true. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. I'm going to. Yeah, um, Go ahead, I'm going Chris. to introduce her. I'm going to introduce her to um, Niger Ennis and um, Burgess Owens. They they're on um, Fox all the time, so we'll work on that. But what I wanted to ask <laughs> you is this: <laughs> you you live in St. Louis, but you work in Atlanta at times. Do you see any difference mm-hmm. between the two two cities? Because I'm sure both both of them are are governed by Democrats. Yes. So and so Atlanta, what I see in Atlanta is the new Atlanta. So so I'm I'm newly working in Atlanta and I I used to work in Atlanta years ago. What I see in Atlanta right now is no different than St. Louis. Uh it has uh, it has a poverty level that's very high. Yes, you have uh, minorities and people that are that and, and poor. Um, it's more, you know, more impoverished neighborhoods. They have things they might have, you know, their stylish cars, and they might have, you know, jewelry, you know, jewelry and whatever else. But Atlanta jobs, they don't pay that much. 
I'm with the government, so I'm locked in. But on a day-to-day Atlanta job, they don't pay that much. Um, I think more bigger, you know, the companies, the huge corporations are coming here because of the land and because of tax cuts, right? So you have a government here that's saying, yes, everybody's welcome here. You're all welcome here. Um, but Atlanta has its segregation issues. Um, there, there's a, I always say there's a, a Ferguson in every city. Atlanta has its economic, you know, uh, Depression issues and suppression and oppression and, and and everything else. Actually, it has a higher homeless rate than than ever. You know, I've never seen so many homeless uh, people on the streets in my life. Um, and of course, yes, like, as I said, they do have things, but it's what does it take to get those things? You know, there are a lot of scams in the land. There are a lot of things. You know, it's it's, it's more like a persona. And people are are working three and four jobs just to live here. So it, it, it's wow. not a it, it's it's not it's not all cracked up to be what uh, it looks like. I think they just have the right government in that's willing to give the tax cuts that understand um, what I do now. What I do like about the democratic system in Atlanta. Um, because it is majority uh, Democratic ran, they understand business, which is something that usually the Republicans understand. But, you know, conservatives we understand big business, saying what we have to do to make cities go around and to create the wealth. Now they are, they have, and I don't know if it's because they were, you know, somewhat forced to. I don't know, but they do understand that they're going to welcome everybody. You have a business, you're coming. You have a big, you have Mercedes, you're coming. So. Um, that's something that uh, I think, for me, um, that the Democratic uh, Party, they, they lack on. They, they really lack on that. So that is a difference yeah, that I see. It's funny how you know all these large urban areas that are controlled by Democrats have so many problems with poverty, homelessness, uh, high taxes, mm-hmm. you know, cost of living through the roof. And it's only in these urban areas controlled by Democrats. You don't see that in areas that are controlled by conservatives or Republicans. You know, you may see some bad, you know, but you may not see as bad as you see in these urban areas. And it, it's unbelievable that, you know, why don't people get the message? You keep voting these people in. Vote them out and put in someone that understands business, that understands lowering taxes, that understands the everyday person that is – well, I think, struggling you know, to survive. I think, one of those things, I think, Annie, it's one of those things you only know what you know, right? You know, you only know what you know. And, and if you're, yeah. if you're uh, birthed into that system, you only know that system, right? So it's going to take people like me. It's going to take people like you, know, you, you know, CS. It's going to take people like Mark. It's going to take people like us to get out and, and speak to uh, minorities and to, to poor people, you know, and, and – um, in the middle class and say, listen, do you own your home? How long have you been renting? You've been renting for 10 years. You should be a homeowner. If you've been working your entire life, you should be a homeowner, okay? You should be able to go on a vacation at least once a year. And so when when you start breaking it down to reality, and you, you, you tell them that, you know, this is, this, this is your life, this is your gamble, Right. And when you get to educating them on things, I think that people think a little differently, even even me. You know, I've always been a smart woman, but uh, even even as a young lady, I, I didn't see it. 
until I had someone to, to, to take me under their wing, which was an African-American conservative that was successful. And so you make a, you make a good point there because um, they, they only know what they know. Even though we do exist, the conservative movement and black conservatives do exist, but we have been painted as the enemy, so they don't mm-hmm. they don't even bother to um, to give us a, a a look at you know. So that's yeah. why they forever seem to um, vote Democrat. But I I think when you when you when you get to bring up facts and you you know one thing about uh, the Democratic Party you can't rewrite history, you know, and history is always rewritten with their party. Because they want to talk what, what they want to talk, and then they tell people what they want to hear. And so that's when the fact check comes in. That's when the independent media comes in. You can't rewrite history. You can't swipe away history. I can tell you how the NRA started. I can tell you about the 1994 Bill Clinton initiative and the laws, right? I can tell you about the crack cocaine sentencing guidelines. And also it's history. It's historical. I can present that on a piece of paper to you. I can give you statistics and numbers, and I think that's how we're going to get through to the to those that reside in impoverished neighborhoods. That's how we're going to get through to the African-American and the poor community because they're not getting anywhere, and I get it and you get it because we've gotten somewhere. But they have to get it. And, and I think speaking to them in large groups like in Jacksonville, and, and, and my goal is to help every candidate that's running, that are good candidates, that are running, as part of the Republican Party, come out and create more minority engagement. So I will be going all around, you know, cities and states speaking for them. Because that's what's going to have to happen in order to create more voters. And and just make voters aware. I I don't want anybody doing it because they're following me. I want them doing it because they understand me and they understand this whole judicial process. They understand the Republican and Democratic Party. They understand the voter process. And they understand why they are living the way they are living and their lives can't be better. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, as I was doing my research for the show to pick up topics for you, you know, you were such a dynamic woman. Uh, I came across this article in the Huffington Post, and someone had reposted it up on Facebook, and he posted the question with, uh, uh, Huffington Post is accusing Trump of tearing down the foundations of democracy. And he posted the question, you know, is Trump pulling down the foundations of democracy? And he, it, it just goes to show how educated our public really is. Because a lot of people go, no, he's not. He's making America great again and this and that. And I posted back and I says, you know, so here people, this people will start yelling at me, but follow my train of thought. So my question to you is, is he pulling down the foundations of democracy and is that good or bad? I don't think he's turned down the foundations of democracy. I don't think uh, actually, so. I don't think. Actually, I think I, I think he is, and this is the reason why, because we're not a democracy. We're a republic. And my response was is that, first, democracy is mob rule. Whatever the majority wants, despite the fact it would trample the individual rights guaranteed in the Bill of Rights, becomes law. It leads to socialism and communism. He's tearing down those actions that are pushing us down that road. And that's why I'm saying well, it's a you good put thing. It like that, Annie, you are correct. If you put it like that, you are correct because 
I think we look at, I think in America we look at democracy a little different. I think we all have, have our views of democracy, right? So you just, again, you just gave me a fact check. I don't have that dictionary in front of me. I don't have the terminology. But what I have in my head is my definition of democracy, right? So you just gave me the definition, and you are absolutely correct. I agree with your answer because Trump is protecting. He's protecting the United States. He is tearing down, you know, the communists. He's, I mean, he's, he, is, he is. You are correct. <laughs> you yeah, are correct. Most people don't realize that the word democracy does not even appear in the Constitution. The word republic does. And a republic is a right. government based upon a set of laws that cannot be changed, the foundation upon which the republic is built. That's right. But democracy I never appears to the, flag, to, the United flag, States. to the United States of America and to the republic. You are correct. For which it stands. See? That's right. <laughs> One nation under God. <laughs> so, and and that is and that is you know what you I, I you are you are absolutely correct and I and I think he's doing a phenomenal job you know uh, you know in Jacksonville it has been and I'm wearing my hat it's gonna it says make economy great again I hope it comes right. by Saturday that's right <laughs> so I have a red mega hat not a mega I have a mega hat. Uh, <laughs> this is the first time ever I have family members, I have friends that are saying, you know what, I, I didn't like my job, I was so fed up with it, I quit, and guess what, I went and found another job within a week. Wow. What do you say to, what do you say to that president? All right, well, hang on a second. I'm putting my Make America Great hat on right now. It doesn't exactly fit over the headset. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> guys. I got and my you know, Make America Great hat. <laughs> And I just That's knocked right. half the stuff off my bookcase. <laughs> and Annie, and Annie, I promise I will send you. I, I want to get your uh, information. I want to send you one of my "Make Economy Great Again." I'm gonna, and I'll make sure that uh, that our Trump gets one too, because I'm I'm wearing that, and I'm gonna wear that, and and that's gonna be uh, the Nikki J, and that's he's making economy great again, and he's standing up to people outside of this country. For our country, you standing up, and I love it. Well, meanwhile, when I went to knock to take the hat down from the bookshelf, I knocked down my picture of me standing next to Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> and we heard something in the background. I heard something. <laughs> my American flag. Boom, ga, bang, ga, bang, ga, boom, ga, bang. That's right. <laughs> I never said I thought I was you had <laughs> I thought you had tripped. <laughs> Well, no, you know, it's, it's, um, I think you guys are great. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> I, I, I love, I love the, uh, I love this like enthusiasm. <laughs> you guys are, you guys are great. I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm glad. To thank, first of all, just I want to say thank you for even having me on the show, uh, and thank you for, you know, I, I need to get, you know, I want to get recognized because I want to do the right thing by people. And I want to do the right thing by the party. Um, and I feel like we have more minorities coming out, especially since Kanye West, you know. Um, I think things are beginning. You know, it's kind of one of those things with the Republican Party. You know, everybody's up in the air. Oh, oh, you know, the Republicans are going down. I think it's one of those things. you got to fail before you elevate. you got to fall before you elevate. Okay, so they took a couple of shots at us, but it's time for us to elevate. 
and I think Kanye coming out, and I think minorities coming out, and I think poor people are beginning to turn their heads, and they are coming out. I think it's our time to elevate. And we have some great young leaders that are coming out that are minorities, that are minorities, you know, that are Hispanics. Well, you know, we had Burgess Owens on. We had Burgess Owens on the show just recently, and he gave us a statistic that is really heartfelt. He goes, the largest section of the economy that is growing happens to be minority businesses. Black-owned businesses are the largest segment of the economy that's growing by leaps and bounds. You know, people are starting to get it. They're not listening to mainstream media. And here's another article that was in Vogue magazine, uh, Teen Vogue, to be quite honest. And the article was saying that capitalism is bad. Capitalism, if we destroy capitalism, we will get rid of poverty. Uh, Actually, it's the other way around. Only under capitalism is poverty eliminated. And then it touted Karl Marx, how wonderful Karl Marx is, saying that he gave birth to communism. Well, excuse me, uh, Team Vogue, the first official practicing of communism was not by Karl Marx. It was by the pilgrims in Massachusetts. They attempted communism by having communal property. So everyone got shared on the work. Everyone was supposed to work equally. Everyone was supposed to share equally. It failed. Why? Because if you turn around and say, oh, just give you know whatever you can to the community, there's going to be people that are going to sit down and not do a damn thing and expect to get the full reward. And that's what happened in Plymouth, Massachusetts. What did I say about Bill Clinton? He gave you everything. He gave you stated deals. He gave you a house that was a half a million dollars, and you only made $10 an hour because your credit score was up. And he gave you everything you wanted, and we failed. We failed. People started losing their houses. People started losing their jobs. Companies went out of business. He got impeached, and we failed, and we we were bombed. our, Our country was in turmoil. Houses that were going for half a million dollars were selling for $10,000. Because yeah. no one could yeah. afford that. You cannot. No, you can't, you can't do it. You just cannot do it. No. And it's not and about if you, if you not look wanting at, to help. Well, if you look at the, the poorest areas in most urban cities is the housing projects. They are the most run down because they're run by government to begin with. And they're being given to mm-hmm. people who say, all right, fine, you owe me, so I'm going to you know, live in this housing project. You owe me, so now we have generational poverty. And you get the welfare check, you get the food stamps, you get the free housing, you get a free Obama phone. So why would there be an incentive for someone to lift themselves out of that when you're giving them everything? What's their incentive to improve well, their lot, to it, work? It's a, it's a to, hinder. It's a hinder. It's just a hinder. And, and, and what if they really wanted to help, even with my program, that's what fueled the fire with me because I couldn't get any help from the Democratic Party. St. Louis City, Democratic ran. So I started purchasing homes on my own. Do you know if St. Louis City would have helped me and, and those tips and those tax dollars could have went to me and, and, and we could have worked at, you know, with the minority woman-owned based business? Guess what? Those 20 houses on that one street, those 20 houses could have been done, and they could have been 20 families that's paying $800 a month to live in the urban neighborhoods, in the ghetto, okay? Could have had a, a totally redone house for $300 cheaper. 
you could have moved the community forward. And this is why I always ask people that live in, in impoverished neighborhoods. But when I give you that example of what I wanted to do and they would not help, your community could have been moved forward. And your living conditions yes. would have been better. Okay? And your educational system would have been better because that's what that would have been the next thing that I fought for. But if you have a community and a loving community, children are able to go outside. Children are able, you know, you, you have families that are sticking together. They are able to help each other at that point, right? And you have you have people and adults that are in that community that are willing to come out and, and go to the schools and help because they have to, right? And, and, and they have $300 extra a month than, than living in slum by a slumlord. And we could have changed the laws with the slumlords because then that's when it goes into politics and power. So if you really wanted to help, the Democrat, if the Democratic Party really wanted to help, why wasn't my idea granted? 20 houses, that was well, because, three years ago, right? That could have been 60 houses that would, that would have been done, which would have almost been half of, a, of the west side of St. Louis, Missouri, the small sector that I grew up in. So that's how you move community, but, and that's how conservatives and Republicans think. But they would have lost the votes. If you can control the, the person, you control the vote. How do you control the person? Exactly. You make them dependent upon you for their, their the next meal on the table. You make them dependent upon you. You are guaranteeing the vote for the rest of that person's life. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> and when you don't control their minds or their education, then you, you can't. So people like me, although, yes, I was raised in St. Louis City, I had an education from one of the um, uh, best schools in St. Louis County. I was bused at 5 o'clock in the morning because I had family members that understood the value of education. So my mind wasn't controlled. And that's that's why I'm on a mission to help those that are controlled. Well, let's see. This that makes the uh, the attempt at indoctrination that Teen Vogue was doing all the more poignant because they're trying to control the minds of the kids, make them again dependent upon government. But what is so ironic about these two articles in Teen Vogue? How does Teen Vogue make their money by using the capitalist system by selling stuff to these kids? that they don't need, they probably don't even really want, but it's fashionable. And then they also shame them because if you're not skinny or if you don't look this way or that way, you're out of vogue. So they use capitalism to sell magazines and yet say capitalism is so, and they yeah. eat it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it's time for, time for some new blood. I think it's time for new blood, it's time for new parties, it's time for us to elevate the parties, and we have enough uh, uh, people coming out that that, uh, resided in in impoverished neighborhoods, and we are, um, it's time for us to put to rest Team Vogue and Cosmopolitan and the the media, and it's time for us to get on the movement, and we as a party, we got to move, and we got to get on the movement, we have to help each other, and um, I get disappointed sometimes, but you know I'm a fighter, and um, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna continue to go out, and, and we, as long as we help each other, and long as we make our presence known, and that we're there, and that we understand, we could take. I think majority of Republicans, we can take the hits, and especially minority Republicans, it's, it's going to be some hits and some shots thrown at us. You know, we're going to be called names. 
I mean, that is, you know, it is what it is because we are not the status quo, but at the same time, if we're strong and and we uh, have the right intentions and and leading the people, I think we can come out with vast majority of votes from minorities and and people that reside in uh, impoverished neighborhoods. And that's what this country is about. That's the great thing about the United States of America. We're free and and we have the ability to do what we want to. And um, for us to, to, to set free. Yeah, as far as the um, Democrat Party, I think it's kind of late for them. I, I think the train has already left the station, and it's full of mm-hmm. blacks who decided that they don't want to be on the plantation no more. So they're coming over to the conservative um, Disney world, mm-hmm. I would say, <laughs> where yeah. there's um, hope for their dreams and, and, uh, and hope for them to have prosperity. So I, I see more and more blacks becoming more critical thinkers and um, getting well, the act together and leaving well, the Democratic Curtis plantation. And Nicole, Curtis and Nicole, this you'll find very, very ironic because as I was doing the research and everything, I came across something where uh, the uh, Democrats and a lot of liberals are complaining that the walkaway videos that are now appearing up on YouTube and the walkaway postings that are now appearing, vast majority of them are being posted by Wait for it, male black. So now they're they're, they're upset because black males are finally getting the message and walking away from the Democratic Party, so they're upset. So there's got to be some sort of conspiracy to this because the vast majority of them are male blacks. (laughs) Can they they grab at any other straws? Well, I think I think black males are tired. I think they're just tired. I think they understand, you know, that they're pushing through, you know. And and for African American females, yes, we're very loyal, you know. And and so yes, we're going. It takes us a time. It takes us a minute, you know, to 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 cross over. But if if the black males, if if the black men lead us, we will follow. And and once they begin to lead, we're going to follow. More, you, you'll see more. You'll see a vast majority of us following. Well, I guarantee we need. We're having this conversation need, now in October 2018. I bet you in 2019, we're, we're going. That vast majority is going to be there. Nicole, but is that not just a perfect example of misogyny? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Hey, go ahead, Curtis. I'm originally, I'm originally from Philadelphia. You know, I'm old Yankee, but I did go to school in Tennessee for um, uh-huh. a couple of years. And what I did learn was um, before I went to Tennessee, I was called it Missouri. By the time I left Tennessee, it was Missouri. <laughs> Missouri, so. that's right. Missouri. And we have that R-A-H. Yeah, we put the H on it. <laughs> and the A. <laughs> so it I is Missouri. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Curtis. And it's Oh, I just want to share that. Curtis, that, you that was it. <laughs> oh, okay. I just want to share that. <laughs> hey, it's, so it's, it's, it's a great. Uh, it's it's a great city. Uh, I love it. I love St. Louis. It's a great state to live in. You know, like I said, we've had our problems, um, but we were on a rise. And you know, for me, even 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 for me, I have. Um, I'm, if you asked me two years ago if I would have thought that I was going to be where I'm at, I would have said no. But I knew I was on, on a mission, and I didn't want to give up. And I didn't give up. 
Well, that's good. Yes. No, it's great. You know, uh, with this all people leaving the Democratic Party, um, Curtis, if you remember on the last show, I said someone I should have coined the phrase hashtag Kavanaugh effect. And uh, ironically, Laura Trump was quoted. Uh, I forget what she was on. She was on something. But she was saying that uh, women now in droves are leaving the Democratic Party because of the Kavanaugh effect. Uh, do you see that happening? Yes. Yes, I have. I have seen that. And actually, um, I had some women, believe it or not, I had some women that came out and said, you know, um, we are we are for women, but um, we we don't we don't necessarily think that this is true, you know. Um, so yeah, people are. I think people are waking up. They are. They're just waking up. And they are you know, they are leaving. And I, I think the I think the Kavanaugh effect was a backfire. It was a backfire um, on their part. And if you can't see that that was a political stance, then I don't I don't really understand. I, I don't know what people are looking at because that was all politics. Yeah, yeah it, it was. But, well, when you you look at it and the manner in which it was done, you know, it was so sneaky. It was so underhanded. And the fact that Diane Feinstein had this information prior to him, to Trump even announcing Kavanaugh's name, and she held on to this deliberately, went through the hearings, and at the 11th hour pulls the rabbit out of the hat, thinking they're going to spring it on him and make him fail. But when, you, when women are home and they look at their young sons, hey, wait a minute, this could happen to my son. Some girl can turn around and get pissed off at him and then just make a wild accusation and he'll get expelled from school or whatever. He will have a stigma on him for the rest of his life. And you think about the Kavanaugh effect on the average everyday male. It's stunning. That's true. And um, it happens in the military as well. You know, you, you, you get on a, a female's case like you would a guy. And they're, they're, you know, they will get mad and say, hey, I'll get this guy back, you know. And next thing you know, you're being brought up on charges of sexual harassment, you know. It's dangerous out there it, it, for it, men. Nicole? Yeah. That's short and sweet. I'm sorry, my phone <laughs> faded out just a little bit. <laughs> Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, we got you oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> we got you now. Okay. And so my phone faded out. What was the question again? I'm sorry. Well, I was saying, you know, if you think about the Kavanaugh effect and the and you have a mother with a young son and she's looking at her son uh-huh. going, well, some girl in school may get just pissed off at him and make a wild allegation, and that kid's life will be ruined because he'll have the stigmatism with him for the rest of his life. I am a mother with a son that's in college, and I answered that I looked at you know I put something on social media about that. I said, listen, if if you know if uh, what happens if, if my friend my my son and his friend you know and and she you know he does something that she doesn't like because she doesn't want to do something as simple as you know be his, you know his uh, his boy you know her boyfriend. What would you know? Can you can you just like you know? Then he gets this high power position. Is that okay to come back after him? Because this might be something that you're obsessed with, or or you were children. And I mean, it it it's 
so many scenarios play, you know, come into play with it, and, and I just, I just, I just, it just didn't sit well with me. Well, you know, honestly, and I think that's this what past every week, mother, well, this this past week, in one of our local middle schools, there was an incident involving six boys and six girls, and what mm-hmm. the result of it was is that they ended up segregating by sex the entire school until they figured out and got to the bottom of these allegations. Supposedly six boys groped six girls, or it could be just six girls made up the story about six boys. We don't know, but instead they had to split the classrooms right down the middle. You know, boys have, have certain classes at certain times and girls have certain classes at certain times. They had to segregate the school because of these allegations. And that's how crazy the Me Too movement has gotten. The Kavanaugh effect, full-blown. Nicole's call has dropped. All right. Well, oh, we're man. waiting for our next guest, uh, Phil McAleer, to call in. Uh, he's the producer of the movie Goslin, so he should be calling in rather shortly. Uh, so we'll just make sure about that. So um, while we're waiting for that, you know, Curtis, oh, God, what else do I have here on the I'm list to talk about? <laughs> what a BTR day, dropping people Holding other yeah, people back. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even I couldn't even type at one one point. And um, oh, some man. people didn't have sound. So some people are actually listening in over on YouTube and Facebook because they weren't getting the sound. So I have to apologize for that. I had no control over that. I will go over the uh the show later on and see if the uh the sound is playing through on BTR, but it looks like uh, Nicole is back with us. Nicole, you're having back. one of those days like the rest of us. <laughs> you're having one of those yeah, days like the rest I think of us. I'm in global, am I in global warming? Like, is it global warming going on? <laughs> no, it's just some hocus pocus. Trump is responsible. <laughs> Trump's responsible for <laughs> global warming. <laughs> Is that is it? I don't know. Is that what's going on? <laughs> yeah, they're putting a the hex on us. Yeah. Hey, not, I don't think things. they want me to come to Jacksonville. Is it because I'm wearing my hat? <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, one of those St. Louis hex. I think oh, I'm, hey, I told you I'm wearing my mega hat. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing my mega. Make economy great again. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, hey, the show's gotten out of here. Are going to be some, you know, some big, some huge sellers. I think you guys should get them right. Come on and get on the train with me. I'm sending you one in, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Oh, man. Oh, man. I just, we've gotten out of here. Maybe That's I'm going it. to with her. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll be a good thing. Why not? I'm going to get one in Jacksonville. I got you. Oh, I got yeah. you one in Jacksonville. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, Nicole, what do you do now when you have to deal with the Democrats over there, you know, trying to get something done? Do you go full force with them? Do you try to get people in the Republican Party behind you? What are you doing to change the government over there? Hey, I, you know the name of my show, so you research me. It's straight talk, right? <laughs> yep. I, I, you know, I, I'm known for that uh, fact check. Do you know my nickname? Do you know what they call me in St. Louis? I, I didn't share this secret with you, uh, CSN. 
They call me Nikki J, a.k.a. Olivia Pope. <laughs> Off of scandal. She is the no tolerance, no nonsense. So I go full force because, you know, if, if it's something that I believe in, I'm going to go full force. And if I know that I'm right and I think that I'm right and I have proof that I'm right, I'm going full force. Well, then you're, you're like me. When I show up before county council, they go, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Well, Nikki, yeah. we got to let you go because our, our next guest is in on the phone. Uh, you have to, if you have it in your area, check out Gosnell Movie. Check out the Gosnell Movie because that's our next guest here with us. Nikki, I want to okay, thank you for joining us. Will. All right, thank All right. you. I look forward to seeing you guys and, and hearing from you again. Yeah, we'll God have bless you back for on. all the hard work you do. <laughs> all okay. right. Bye-bye. Check it out. Backontheblock.org. And let's bring on our next guest. And every time we have something going on with them, I always get Anne. And this is the first time film is with us. So good afternoon, sir. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? All right. How'd you like to plug for the movie before I even got you on there? (laughs) That's right. I think I'm going to change my – I I always say I'm going to change my name to Where's Anne because every time I'm out (laughs) at an event – People come up and say, don't say hello to me, just say, where's Anne? So you're, you've just done that as well. <laughs> I had to. I couldn't resist it. She is such a lovely yeah. lady. So tell her I send my regards and hi. Man, you know, you and Anne uh, are an absolutely fantastic couple. Your husband and wife team, and you're both trained as journalists and everything. You've done Frack Nation. Uh, you done. You have done Ferguson the Play. Uh, you have you go to the heart of the issues on a lot of different things, and you're tireless. You really are. And uh, when I had Anne on a, a while back, she was talking about Ferguson, the play, but she was also mentioning that you started to get involved with uh, the Gosnells uh, movie, and she was giving me a lot of the background on it. So I have a little note. And unfortunately, the local theater that's playing is about two and a half hours away from me. So I'm trying to see if I can get it to one of our local theaters. It's just too far for us to travel. But I am fully versed on this whole issue here. So you're not going to have someone that is going to wait for you to carry the conversation. I've got, and I'm going to wave in front of the camera, my notes. These are all my notes from the Cosnell. But you are not someone that was pro-life or pro choice you kind of like sat on the fence and this really this whole episode with uh, Kermit Gosnell changed your mind tell us how you got involved with it because that's that's a great story yeah well I I, as your listeners might know I made a documentary called Frack Nation uh, and uh, you know it's 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 got a lot to do with Philadelphia and Pennsylvania and I happened to be in Philadelphia in between screenings of Frack Nation I thought I would call in to see, uh, you know, uh, a local court case because that's what journalists do in their days off. You know, they go to court cases. And uh, so I went to the court case and uh, went in. And, uh, you know, this, uh, I just read in the local paper this doctor charged with murder. And I went in and I saw some of the most incredible photographs and evidence. I heard the most incredible testimony uh, and shocking and there, right in front of me, was America's biggest serial killer. That was an unbelievable as well. But but the most shocking thing of all was behind me, was row after row after row of empty press benches. And uh, me, that that was the that was the shocker. Uh, you know, that was the most shocking thing of all. 
and uh, I just thought, I, I remember I, I came home to Los Angeles and I said, Anne, this is our next project. And Anne said, no, we don't do abortion. And uh, I said, okay. And so I ordered the transcripts, the trial transcripts for her. And uh, she came to me a few days later and said, this is what we're doing now. It is a horrific story. And ironically, um, it, the whole thing broke not because of the abortions. The whole thing broke because he was a pill pusher. It was a narc raid that uncovered this abortion mill. Yeah, it was it was a drugs cop who uncovered him, a hero, a Jim Woods, you know, who 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 was chasing down this massive drugs drug dealer, this drug seller, and it was a doctor, Doctor Gosnell. So he started investigating, and found out that a woman had died there, but the police had never had never been reported. The police, nothing had ever been said about it, done about it, and. Uh, Next thing, uh, the you know he was he was sniffing away and checking this out and discovered you know America's biggest serial killer, not without some political opposition because who wants to start prosecuting an abortion doctor? I mean nobody in, in Democratic Philadelphia. But actually, I shouldn't blame Democratic Philadelphia. This all started. He was really allowed to keep killing by a Republican governor, Tom Ridge. Tom Ridge was elected as a pro-choice Republican in Pennsylvania, and he got in and he said, you know that law that says we have to inspect abortion clinics every every week uh, that we're doing up to now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look again at that, and I looked at it, and I saw that that law doesn't mean what it really says, and uh, people are not, we're not inspecting every week, we're not going to look every every year, uh, we're going to just not go in, and when that drug cop went in, to that clinic, it was the first time anyone official had stepped foot over the door for 17 years. Yeah, that that is the phenomenal part that he's never ever had the inspection in all that time. There were complaints against him, and uh, the person that you know he killed that he's doing time for that was not the first person he killed. And ironically, he he was the darling of Philadelphia uh, because when he graduated from Jefferson Medical School. Uh, he had spent uh, four decades practicing medicine among the poor, including opening the Mantua Halfway House, a rehab clinic for drug addicts uh, in the impoverished area of West Philadelphia. Uh, he had a teen aid program. Uh, he became a proponent of abortion rights in the 60s, 70s. And in 72, he returned to New York City to open an abortion clinic uh, there. Uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer had him as a physician I am very concerned about the sanctity of life, he was quoted as saying, but it is for this precise reason I am providing abortions for women who need them. And what's worse is uh, he performed 15 televised second term, second trimester abortions using an experimental supercoil method. And it turns out nine of those 15 women had severe complications. And uh, by the time he was done with that TV show, the Mother's Day Massacre by some. This guy tried to put on a good front, but he's really a heck of a bad dude. He's a creep, you know. He's a I mean, he's a charismatic creep. Uh, we visited him in prison, and uh, you know he's 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 very relaxed. He's very distant. He's he's very erudite. He's very charming, you know. But he's a creep. He he sat down in front of my wife and spent the whole interview putting his hand on her leg. Uh, he we he talked he boasted about his travel. We asked him where he'd been. He'd been to Poland. He loved it. He'd been to Auschwitz. 
Uh, and then we said, what did you think of our script? And he said, it's very impressive. And, you know, I've traveled the world a lot, and it's the first time I've ever heard anyone describe Auschwitz as impressive. Yeah, he, he, yeah. Anne said he really creeped her out, is the way she had said it. Yeah. And uh, he he would call her on the phone, though, right? I remember her telling yes. me that he would call her up. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he would call her on the phone. Had... Until until then, she changed the number to my number, and now he calls me. But uh, no, we'd be at weddings, you know, and next thing the phone would ring, and it'd be Kermit Cosnell hunting in prison, and it's like, oh god, not again. So uh, yeah, so she she passed the, the number over to me. So now I get the phone calls from America's biggest serial killer while I'm having you know meeting my goddaughter and, and, and chatting to her, you know. So uh, you know, that's, oh. well, that's weird, journalists. We're not complaining, but you know, we I think you know we need your listeners now to come on board and help us out. This is the, you know we've made this movie now. I made the book. Well, the book of the book has done really well. It's a New York Times bestseller. We've made the movie, and we need your listeners really to come out and you know make sure that this this the second weekend is a huge success. This is the you know the mainstream media have refused to re- review the film, point blankly refused to review it. Um, and well, you, you know they the, go ahead. Now, you had problems with trying to get funding for it because some of these crowdfunding places refused to allow you to even put something up. Uh, I believe you also had Facebook blocking you. Uh, you yeah. had a really hard time. But when you did get the crowdfunding up, it was a record amount of donations from a small number of yeah. people. Yeah, many of them, your listeners. Yeah, Kickstarter wouldn't let us crowdfund. Just point blankly refused, you know. No, you can't call him a murderer. Well, he's convicted of murder, so you know that's a bit of a giveaway. No, we'll defend our community guidelines. I said to them, I don't want to be part of a community that, that insists people lies. Uh, so, yeah. so you know, I, I was then Facebook blocked our ads. NPR wouldn't allow us to advertise. You know, it just went on and on and on. The, the, and now the mainstream media won't review it. Uh, you know, we got two mainstream media reviews. Uh, the a, a, a movie called Beautiful Boy, which is about opioid addiction. Nobody's going to go and see it. It's received 70 reviews, 70, 70. We've refused, received two. So need your listeners to go out this this, this evening, oh, this sorry, this weekend, and go and see this film. And if they don't think, if it's not near them, it's like you, it's not near you, you know, it's too far away, go online, buy a ticket. It's a bit like giving a political donation, you know, rather than giving... Ten or twenty dollars to your local congressman. Buy a, a movie ticket for Gosnell and uh, send a message to Hollywood and the mainstream media. The cover-up stops now. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so because you know, at, at the point it is, no one is really pushing. The only place I see ads up are up on Fox News, and they run them pretty often. Uh, so at least you're getting coverage from Fox News. But as I understand, you're sitting somewhere around number nine out of the box office. Yeah, all, yeah. All week we've been at ten and number nine, which is amazing for a movie that's got no reviews and is a small independent movie. We're the most successful independent movie, uh, but you know, but we need to get well up into the top. We need to stay into the top ten, you know, um, um, you know, and and uh, we need to stay in the top ten. We need to go for it, um, and 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 send a message. Uh, to Hollywood, you know that this uh, uh, that this the the, the, the cover up stops here. Well, it is. It definitely stops here because we've been talking about Gosnell. I talked about him when he was uh, arrested, 
when he went to trial, I talked about him and spoke with us about him as as they were getting ready to work on the movie. And this movie has been quite a long time in the making. Uh, it's taken you, I think you started back in, was it uh, 2013 or something? Yeah, yeah. We started fundraising. To, well, the trial was 2013, and we started fundraising around that time. And, you know, it's been tough to make it. It's been tough, uh, you know, to raise the money, make a film, get it out there. Nobody wants to touch it. But we've done well. We've done good. You know, we were, we were, we were the most popular independent movie, you know, in America last year, last week, last weekend. But, you know, people need to come up to the plate now. You know, if you've been complaining about Hollywood for 20 years, now is your chance to do something about it. If you're complaining about the mainstream media, now is your chance to do something about it. And uh, just to be a little snarky towards Hollywood, what do you think your chances are for an Oscar on this movie with liberal Hollywood? Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to campaign for one. I'm going to embarrass them into, into refusing us an Oscar. <laughs> Well, I've been putting up uh, in the chat room the link, the link to your movie, which is GosnellMovie.com. It's also up on the show page. And you know, Phil, you know, most of the people that listen to the show listen to the podcast later on, so it's there for them to click on to go directly there and to help you out with the movie. But go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, okay. no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't saying anything. There's someone else on the line, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Oh, this is my co-host, Curtis. Co-host. Yeah, my my question was this: isn't isn't it likely? Well, I know it's more than likely that the issue the left is having with your movie is because of the two topics involved, which is abortion, and this guy was um, non-white. Yeah, I it's all. I think it's I think it's ninety percent abortion. It's funny they haven't quite started playing the race card just yet. Um, but I've seen a few references to race in it in the criticism, but they haven't quite played the race card. I mean, it's, it's difficult, difficult to play the race card because Gosnell had had nicer rooms for white women and crappier rooms for black women, and that came out in the court testimony. So wow. playing the race card with us is a little difficult on that one. Um, and and by the way, no one has given more jobs to black people in this film than us. Like. All his staff were, were black or, or minority. I mean, we have more minorities on this film than uh, than, 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 uh, than I'd say almost every other Hollywood film. The three producers are three immigrants, two Irish and a Polish person. Uh, you know, so, you know, if they want to start the diversity nonsense with that, I'll, I'll be ready for them with a big diversity n- nonsense right back at them. Well, I will say this much. <laughs> I, I live in Florida and... I've seen advertisements for this movie, so I'm going to make sure I get to see it and tell other people about it. Yeah, I mean, it's important yeah, that people it's, get to see it because it's not going to be around for many more weekends, you know, because the movie Halloween is going to come out and be a blockbuster and suck a lot of the screens away. So it'll be disappearing from people's screens quite soon, so you need to get out soon and support it. Yeah. And then it's going to be going to DVD, right? Then people can buy the DVDs? Yeah, the DVD will be much later. It'll be going to Netflix and then DVD. So, I mean, if you're waiting for the DVD, it could be many, many months. It'll be definitely next year. So if you want to see the film, the best way is to go to the theaters now. Yeah. Now, people, um, the, the situation with guys now was extremely horrific. I mean, the what uh, 
Officer Woods found when he went in there with the DEA and the FBI agents was absolutely horrendous, horrendous, the conditions they saw in there. You know, bloody sheets. Uh, women were sat, had to sit on top of toilets to abort the baby, and then the baby was fished out and then killed afterwards. Uh, there was so many body parts in cereal boxes and orange con- uh, juice containers can really get people to understand unless they see it. So with all this graphic horror, how did you manage to keep a PG-13 rating on this? It was very, very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. And it was, it was the thing that, that, that gave us, um, it was the thing that gave us our, our biggest, we put all our energy into it, all our energy into it. We had to make sure that that, because we wanted this to be uh, as, as, as as accessible to as many people as possible. We wanted this to be known across the United States and seen across the United States. And we realized Hollywood would want to shut it down. So any excuse they would have, they would give us an R rating and so restrict us uh, from showing the film. So we were determined not to let Hollywood shut us down. So we made it very, very, very PG-13. I've talked to dozens of people and people want to look on Twitter uh, it's very clear. People are saying it's not gory, it's not graphic. I mean, that's the biggest worry. That's the biggest barrier to people going is they're worried that it's graphic or gory. And if you go on Twitter and just look at what people are saying, they're not saying they're saying it's not gory, it's not graphic. So please go there. You know, um, it, 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 we spent a lot of time and a lot of energy. Don't worry about that. It's it, some people have called it the most important movie of the decade, and it is. If people are shocked and amazed at how good it is, how strong it is. And uh, they say it's the only movie they've ever been at where after the credits, everyone sits in silence and just sits there and thinks. In one place in one place in Kansas, a man got up and started praying, and suddenly the whole theater started praying. Wow. Wow. You know, because Gosnell was not in this alone. His wife, Pearl, was involved in this. And there was other eight other people who were also indicted. Out of all of them, I think only one was uh, charges were dropped. But everyone else, including Gosnell, were convicted. Yeah, um, I mean that, that's correct. Uh, many people were convicted. He was the leader. He was the cult leader. It was, it was almost like a cult there, you know. He had these, you know, broken people working for him. Uh, but it was a, a huge and massive and very profitable criminal enterprise. I, I was amazed at how much money. It was something like. Uh, I forgot where I put my numbers, but it was a phenomenal amount of money that he was making on. And it was a, an abortion mill. And the worst part was uh, the only time he had a registered nurse there was when he was told an inspection was coming through. And that was one of the charges that the woman came in just for a couple of hours to be there for the inspection and leave. There were no registered nurses. The, the people that were doing the procedures had no medical training or skills. They were given a 15-minute, you know, this is how you do it, and there's a chart on the wall, just follow the chart on the wall. And can you imagine going in and having an abortion? Uh, women were coming out with septic uh, infections, uh, perforated colons, perforated uteruses, perforated bladders. You know, they were one girl, 14 years old, changed her mind. And instead, he strapped her down to the gurney and performed the abortion against her will. And there's other cases where he did the same thing. The disregard for the human being, they were just a thing, something just to get money to come in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, well, it, it was money, but he, he's also a, a serial killer, you know. And 
you know that that's that he he enjoyed killing he liked killing and uh wanted to kill and you know if you want to be a killer the best place to be is in abortion clinic in a democratic state where people won't go and ask you questions where the bodies could be carried out uh, and can pile up and no one will shout stop now that's that's the fun a hard part. He actually enjoyed it. And then he had opened up on Sundays for his special cases that his wife assisted him in. So you can imagine. But no one knows the exact number of babies he aborted because he destroyed the records. And no one knows yeah, the exact the, the number gra- of women that yeah. die because of him. The records were destroyed. Yeah. The grand jury said he killed hundreds. Uh, they were only able to go back a certain distance. Uh, it's quite obvious he killed thousands. Um, over in a 30-year killing spree. So that's the kind of man he was. That's you know. But no, I would emphasize to people: the film is not gory. The film is not graphic. Uh, you know, we, we we tried really hard to make sure that it's not. Yeah. You know, one of the babies that he was convicted of was Baby Boy A, and he made a comment uh, about Baby Boy A that I, I just went, "Oh my God!" That when he aborted this. The baby was born alive, and what he did was we'd snip the spine with a pair of scissors, which is why you've got the scissors on the cover art of your movie. Uh, but his complete disregard for the fact that this was a human baby born alive. Why they finally yeah. got him on three murder charges. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, they got him on three, and you know, he he, he did hundreds if not thousands more. Yeah, he, he, he said about the baby, this baby's big enough to walk me to the bus stop. Um, you know this man. This is a serial killer. This is the, this is a man with no regard for humanity. But this is a man who was allowed to kill by politicians. They could have stopped him. Women were coming out dead and mutilated. They were jamming up the emergency rooms of Philadelphia hospitals. But no one shouted stop. No one. No, and what's ironic is that there were 22 other abortion clinics in Philadelphia, and during this time, none of them were inspected either. So it's not just his clinic. Yeah. It was a complete blind eye by the government and doing their job. Yeah, Tom Ridge, Tom Ridge, the Republican governor, came in and there was a law that said the clinics had to be inspected every year. And he looked at the law. He got his lawyers to look at the law. And they said, you know what? That law doesn't mean what it says it means. And, you know, and people who say you need more regulations in the world, there are plenty of regulations in the world. But if people aren't going to enforce them for political reasons, then they're not regulations at all. Yeah, it's when, when I think about this guy, and and he pleaded, he 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 pleaded guilty simply so he doesn't get the death penalty himself. You know, it's okay for him to murder everyone else, but don't kill me. It's, well, no, he didn't plead guilty. Which, no, he, he he faced a trial. He faced a trial, an eight-week trial, but in the end, he did a deal that he would not appeal his conviction uh, if he if they if they didn't sentence him to death. He'd get life without parole. And then he got into prison and immediately started appealing his conviction. It seems you can't trust a criminal nowadays. <laughs> you think? You think? But this had to be a really hard uh, movie to uh, to make. But getting the distribution, because I've had other independent film uh, uh, makers on, and their biggest problem was getting it distributed. You've managed to get it to almost 700 theaters now. How did you manage to do that you know we raise the money independently and we we've got a distributor that that cares about this kind of movie uh and that's what we did and that was that's important and that, you know 
that's what this was all about? Uh, this is definitely a must-see movie. You know, if, if someone is pro-choice, I think once they see this movie, um, it will definitely uh, change their mind. It changed yours, right? Once you started to find yeah, out totally, the truth totally. about we this. Went, we went from, yeah, we went from neutral to abortion to, to, to not being neutral. And, you know, uh, our friend, we showed it to a friend, you know, a very liberal friend, and uh, he watched it. And then he went outside and he immediately started chain smoking and he turned me and said, with tears in his eyes, says, I have to rethink everything. I have to rethink everything. And then suddenly, you know, for, for a filmmaker, that's all you're asking for is for people to rethink what they think they know, rethink, you know, and that's, that's what this film does. It brings a lot of evidence out. The people giving evidence, they couldn't talk in political points or slogans or anything like that. They had to tell the truth. And the truth will set you free. Yeah, absolutely. And there were women when this was going on coming forward, making complaints, and the complaints were all ignored. And as uh, uh, Kel in the chat room is saying that you have some big name actors in this. You have Nick Searcy. Uh, he's mm-hmm. been on our show. We've had you have Dean Cain, uh, Michael Beach, Janine Turner. But you also have some of the people that were involved in the original investigation prosecution in the movie, too. Right. Yeah, yeah, Jim Wood, the actual original detective, he has a cameo role. Uh, Christine Wexler, who was in the in the original movie, she has a cameo role. You know, so yeah, we, we you know, we 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 work with people who are very very closely involved in the filming, in the case. Absolutely, and as I said, it's 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 a movie that you have to take your liberal friend to see and actually see what is the truth behind Planned Parenthood, what is the truth behind abortion, what goes on behind these doors, and that's what people don't understand. So I, I'm glad you made this. It's been a long time in the, in the making, and it's I'm gonna have to see if I can definitely get it into the theater near us. I'm gonna give them a call as soon as I get off the uh, the radio because I sent yeah. uh, Bethany a link to the uh, theater, which is Cinemark. Uh, see if we can get it in over here. But, uh, Bill, I'm glad that you stayed with us for the full half hour because Bethany said, no, he can only do about 20 minutes because no one knows the story. <laughs> but yeah. I, yeah. Well, well here's, my, here's, my price. here's my price for staying a half hour. All your listeners have to go and see the film now. That's my price for staying a half hour. <laughs> and if it's not in the theater near you, you need to go and ask the, your, phone your local theater and tell them to bring it there. It works. This works. Yeah. We've got it into theaters because of that. Actually, I'm going to send out an email to all of my Tea Party members and tell them, giving them the phone number to the theater, telling them to call and get it in there. So how's that? That's great. Thank you very much. All right, and, yeah, and God bless for all the hard work you do, and uh, give Anne my regards. We will. All the best. Bye. Bye. Take care. Uh, and the things that's happening in my Gos- hometown. Gosnellmovie.com. Uh, also, you can go to the anneandfilm.com. Uh, there's links up on the show page. Just click on them and uh, check it out. We've got our next and final victim up on the line. I uh, I, of, course, of course, this gentleman, by accident, uh, when I was doing my research for today's dedication, um, Brad, you may want to listen to uh, later on, uh, which was very difficult to do. Um, but you are oh. on the line. Uh, wow. I was trying to kill it. Kill it! I was listening at the same time. How are you folks doing? <laughs> All right, Brad. <laughs> uh, you are a state representative in Maine, and you were trying to run for uh, Senate in Maine. Uh, but I came across you because when I was doing the dedication to Corporal Eugene Cole, um, Cor- uh, 
Corporal Cole's wife had posted something up on her page, and it was a dedication you just did recently to a bridge in the memory of Corporal Cole, and it was really wonderful. I mean, huge turnout for that. Uh, it was amazing. It was actually, uh, and, and Cheryl Cole, uh, the wife of Jean Cole, actually picked the date that we did the bridge dedication. It was Jean's 62nd birthday, so it was really appropriate. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you're in the main house. Where you got a lot of liberals up north there. I know hey. when I used to work in Boston. <laughs> in downtown Boston. It was really hard being conservative in downtown Boston, especially in government center. <laughs> so you have to have a badge of courage for just doing that. Um, but you actually, you are someone that really gets the job done uh, because you passed legislation uh, stolen honor legislation you passed, and you don't see very many states doing that. Well, we've, uh, you know, one of the things that's fortunate for me is I'm up in rural Maine. We're about an hour and a half north of Portland, and uh, we're in a district up here that was the second congressional district that has Congressman Paul Quinn uh, down there fighting for us in D.C., the only uh, Republican congressman, I think, uh, in New England, and, and we've been fortunate to have Governor Paula Page for the last uh, eight years up here uh, representing us, and in the second congressional district was the only uh, district that gave uh, our President Donald Trump an electoral vote. So we have we have we have some good folks up here. Yeah. Now I'm just curious because I go onto Politics One when I want to find uh, candidates' uh, websites, um, but I didn't see you listed on Politics One. So is this Senate race for this November, or is it in the future? It, it is. Uh, so in Maine, we have term limits. Uh, we have uh, four two-year terms, and our current state senator, Rod Whittemore, is termed out. I'm in my second term in the House of Representatives. This is for Senate District 3, which is from where I am all the way up to the Canadian border through Jackman, and uh, it's pretty much all of Somerset County up here. Wow. So 17 hey, days, but I'm not, I'm not counting. <laughs> <laughs> well, wishing you luck. You know, because uh, you backed Susan Collins when she backed Kavanaugh. And a matter of fact, uh, she pointed that out. Um, but now she's under attack. You know, she's getting uh, strange letters and stuff coming to her house. She's under physical attack for making that Kavanaugh stand. You know, on the day of uh, Corporal Cole's dedication of the bridge, I was fortunate enough to meet the uh, senator in the parking lot. And, and I, I could just tell, I mean, this is the day after the vote. And, and the stress that she was under. And we walked around the corner of the parking lot to where we were doing the dedication. And the, and the crowd cheered and said, you know, we love our senator. And you could kind of see the relief wash off her face a little bit. And she made a comment, you know, during her remarks about uh, being back home. And it's really, really disappointing to me that that Washington-style nastiness has come to Maine that – our people that serve can't even be respected, let alone doing their job, but at where they live and among their family and friends. And when the far left calls out, you know, for harassing people at the gas station and at restaurants and the civility that, that, that has taken a toll, it, it's a wonder why we can find that we can't find good people that are willing to step up when that is how the radicals treat public servants. Uh, it's, it is a shame that we've come to such uncivility. 
And then you have someone like Hillary Clinton saying, well, when we get Democrats back in control, we'll have stability again. I think so. I think if they get back in control, they're going to double down because then they're going to say, we're the winners, nah, 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 nah. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, folks, you know, like I, I said, being up here where we are, uh, fairly conservative, rural Maine, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the old blue hound Democrats, you know, that, that still believe in a lot of that. I, I was talking to somebody out on the campaign trail and, and she made the comment. She said, you know, I'm a lifelong Democrat. My grandfather was. My father's turning over his, in his grave seeing what these radical progressive liberals have done to people that, that, that don't subscribe to that. They, they might still have a D by their name, but they do not subscribe to that behavior or those antics. And, the, and, and my response is, well, you need to get involved because it is your party, and that is that is what is is being put out there, and it, it's really disappointing. It is, it is absolutely, and you know it's funny because uh, the Democrats have a funny way of of working issues, and the border security is a huge, huge issue with us, especially you know you're there at the border with Canada, uh, but Elizabeth Warren when she did this DNA test. And claiming herself to be Cherokee and that whole kerfuffle that came after that and the Cherokee Nation. And then she comes back and says, well, I, I recognize and respect the, Cher- the sovereignty of the Cherokee Nation. And that little light bulb went off in the back of my head. It went, boing. She wants open borders for the United States, but show respect the sovereignty of the Cherokee Nation and their citizenship. Uh, what about the United States of America that you're supposed to be representing? Is that not hypocrisy? It is huge hypocrisy. And, and you know, the other thing is about uh, Senator Warren next door. You know, I mean, it, it, they think, a lot of these people think that even though folks aren't engaged, that, that the average American isn't that smart. And shame on them for thinking, underestimating hardworking folks that, that they might not, they don't have the time. They're, they're working. They're raising their families. They're coaching Little League games. You know, they're doing all this. They don't have time to protest and, and be and, and be hounding people and everything else. But they pay attention to this stuff. And if you can't see through this political game, that she tried to get this out because she thinks that they have short-term memories. Get it out now. If she decides to run in 2020, then there will be old news and won't have to face the music. And, and it's just the way they try to manipulate the message and speak out of both sides of their mouth is just totally disingenuous. That it is. You know, what do you see is the major issue for your state? Well, you know, I'm really concentrated. Like I said, I, I represent about 8,000 people up here in central Maine, and in the Senate district it's about 40,000. And, and even though the economy is doing much better, uh, we, we have, I, I see three big issues that we have up here in rural Maine. We, we still are, are behind in some of the uh, wage increases with some of the manufacturing. We, we've lost some of the paper mill jobs. They, there are some coming back. There are a couple mills that are doing well. But we need, we need to find good qualified workers. I mean, there are jobs available, but rural Maine is still lagging, lagging behind in some of the economic benefits. Our energy prices up here are still too high. You know, we're on the end of the of the of the tip, with, especially with Massachusetts gabbling up uh, a lot of energy. And and one of the things that we're really struggling with up here, and it's hitting families hard, is the whole opioid epidemic. Uh, the the drug abuse, especially with the heroin and the narcotics, 
is is very very close to home and it's it's impacts you can pick up the local paper and you can read obituaries almost on a daily basis wow Wow. And the opioid e- epidemic is crazy, and it's getting worse. And you know, How do you stop it, though? You've got pharmaceutical companies that advertise all this stuff on TV. You've got doctors that get you know samples that come in. The salesman comes in, and they push this, push that. How do you, how do you stop it? How do you cut it off? I, well, you got, so the, the political answer, right, is the three-legged stool, but I, I, specifically on policies, you know, I, I think you got to talk about you got to do education. You know, we we, you know, we we go to our school systems where we can't talk about God or saluting the flag sometimes, and, and then we want to talk about drug uh, prevention. You know, just say no in the dare programs and things like that. I think those are very important to to hit people before they even get involved, and the community is a huge piece of that. Uh, you talked about the pharmaceuticals and the doctors. I think it's pretty well laid out there now that the doctors and the pharmaceuticals played a huge role in this on the and on the get out. And I've talked to I've talked to some doctors that recognize that, you know, they that they were part of that. And we've done some legislation here in Maine, you know, having uh, doctors register and 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 try to control that. And I think we need to keep that pressure on with that piece and, and, and we've got to enforce. You know, I mean you can't just turn a blind eye. We've got Interstate ninety five that runs from New York you know, up through here, and there's a conduit for for drugs, and we have to we have to have enforcement. So it's it's a three prong approach. I don't think there's a hate to use the analogy, but a magic pill is going to make it go away. We need community involvement, we need some tougher regulations, and we need enforcement. Well, let's hope that it's going to help uh, because right now you've got um, Canada, as I understand it, uh, just passed recreational marijuana. We just we passed that in Maine. I say we. I, ha- I have to say the we because it was by people's referendum uh, two years ago in, in in 2016. Recreational marijuana passed, but you know what? Unfortunately, up here with our referendum process, when people went in to vote for that, it was a it was a single line. It was, "Do you approve adult?" recreational use of marijuana and it passed very narrowly I, I i don't have the numbers in front of me but it was 51 49 it was it was close what those people didn't see behind that was 34 pages of legislation that was written by the marijuana industry not by the people of maine and we spent the first session of our legislative uh period just trying to sort through how, you know how are you going to enforce it? How are you going to license it? How are you going to ta- tax it? You know, I mean, the whole business. And there was there were even holes in the people's referendum that that didn't have safeguards. Children under 18 years old could could have access to it, and, but people passed that one line red, uh, uh, legislation on the on the referendum ballot without understanding all of the ramifications behind it. That's crazy. It is crazy. It and, is. And, you have people that vote with their heart and not with their head. And if you have a huge industry like the marijuana industry out there throwing the big bucks out there, the little guy doesn't stand a chance. Uh, I, I was real fortunate. I had no political experience before I ran. I, I retired uh, as the state command chief for the, for the Maine Air National Guard in, in 2013, and I got kind of roped into 
into running for office, and I really didn't know what I was what I was getting into. But I was very fortunate my first term to set by a, a fine gentleman uh, that told me the one rule I needed to know in politics out of the gate, and that was follow the money. And that applies to so many things. If you want to get to the down to the root of the yeah. issue, is follow the money. Congressman, it's an unfortunate thing. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, it was just I know the Northeast is basically liberal territory, but I was curious if the Republican Party up in that area had programs to make inroads um, into the liberal um, neighborhoods and things, you know, to um, enlighten them with the conservative message. Or is it just, you know, you just, do y'all cater to just the, the small group of conservatives up there and that's it? No, I, you know, I think leadership comes to a point, and, and, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, we have had a Republican governor, Governor LePage, for eight years. Uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful that uh, Sean Moody, who's running for, for governor this time, a Republican, uh, has, a, has a real good shot. I'm very optimistic. Uh, like I said, Congressman Poliquin, the only Republican, you know, in the, in the Northeast up here. Our, our struggle is, is, you know, Portland and South, close to that Boston thing, is there is a huge liberal uh, uh, group there. They have lots of money. The Maine's People Alliance is an organization up here that gets a lot of money from, from out of state. Uh, and, and that's what we're battling. You know, they, everyone thinks about rich Republicans. Well, that, that's not the case. We're, we're hardworking folks with some core values. And, and you look at this, I go back to follow the money. Where this outside money comes from, it's not from the grassroots folks in the state of Maine. It, it's Soros. And I, I mean, I, people use those terms, but it's, you can go to our ethics page and you can follow the money, literally, about who's donating. And, and that's the biggest battle we have as far as getting the message out. We try to put good candidates up. We talk about the economy. We talk about the Second Amendment. We talk about religious freedoms. And, you know, as long as we can get the message out, that that's what we got to focus on. That's, that's going to be a hard slog. Uh, but looks like we're not going to have a blue wave. It's going to be a red wave coming up in, a, in just 18 days. So knock on wood, I, <laughs> 18 I, more I hope days they, to I, that red wave. I hope they, I hope they underestimate us again, for, and I say us, and, I, and again, I, we have a large unenrolled uh, population up here in Maine that do not belong to either party. They call themselves independents, but they're, they're unenrolled from either party, and they play a big role in the elections up here. And, and there again, I go back to it. There's a lot of folks that are working, raising their families, going to church, coaching ball and soccer and everything else, and they don't have the time to be involved in a lot of the, the antics that you see from the far left. And I'm, I am, you know, people say the silent majority. I am optimistic that those folks will come out, at least here in the state of Maine, and make a very proud message for us. Uh, well, are you seeing people reacting to what I called the Kavanaugh effect and also the effect of Antifa with their riots? Do you see people reacting to that up in Maine? I, I don't see the – I mean, I don't see out-and-out out action. I have conversations by talking to people, going to doors and, and, and talking to constituents and stuff that, again, I, I think that the, the far left underestimates how upset people are, that they can they, – you could see through 
what what they did to Judge Kavanaugh by holding the information, by turning it into a sideshow. Their whole plan was to delay and try to get past the midterms. It, it, it's like the caravan that's coming up through now and the timing. It, it, people see through that. That is political antics, and they think people aren't smart enough to see that. And I, I think they are sadly mistaken, and I pray to God that we're going to prove them wrong. Now, the only way that caravan can make it is if someone organized it. And as I understand, uh, one of the main organizers had been in custody. I heard that yesterday. Whether or not he's still in custody, I don't know. Uh, but it's a definite political organization. It's it's intimidation is what it is. And Absolutely. Uh, I was I was watching the news and they're saying the border patrol is saying, well, we're putting him on the bus and we're letting him off in Texas. And then the next news article I turned over in my hand was a report that these illegal aliens, once they end up in Texas, are given voter registrations with the box checked that said United, United States citizen. So we're getting voter intimidation. We're getting uh, voter fraud with these illegal aliens are trying to stack the deck. I, I introduced a bill up here for voter ID in Maine, and it got shot down uh, by the Democrats. And, and the simple argument was, you know, you, you can't cash a check. I went to the bank today in my hometown, and there was a new teller, and she asked for an ID for me to cash a check at a bank that I've had for 20 years. And, and we got to show an ID to buy alcohol and to buy cigarettes and to get on planes. But it's voter suppression to ask for an ID when we do one of the basic uh, privileges we have as a citizen is to cast a ballot in an election, and they call that voter suppression. That's the mentality that you're up against. It's, it's crazy. As, as you said, you need the voter ID to go anywhere else, do anything else. Um, but to ask them for that to vote is just too far it's too much. Matter of fact, here in the state where I am in South Carolina, Nikki Haley put into place because they challenged the law that was passed. Nikki Haley said, all right, fine. For this amount of time, anyone that cannot get to motor vehicles to get a state ID, we will provide you transportation. We will pick you up at your front door, take you to motor vehicles, wait for you, and take you home. And there's like something like half a million voters were disenfranchised because they don't have voter ID. Uh, well, not even 2,000 people signed up for the free ride. So yeah. that goes to show it's, it's another lie. Mm-hmm. I agree. But we're going to keep fighting. Oh, you got to go so fight there. To, and people... I, I, I'd like to say why, why I still get you on here, just because I know, you know, the reason you reached out was, you know, with, with Corporal Cole is that I, I'd like just to say that, you know, for the tragedy that 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 happened, and that was a, it was it was a murder. I mean, Gene uh, was was murdered by a young man with drug issues, and 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 I know they're going to go through the process and everything down through, but it rocked this community to its core, and I am so proud of my community that banded together and has embraced Cheryl and the entire family, uh, and turned out for that bridge dedication. 
And Gene is is just so apropos on that Sunday afternoon on his 62nd birthday. It was, it was wrapping up to walk across the bridge, literally. And, and this is, you can go back and look at it. The sun came out as, as Cheryl and the family unveiled the, the plaques across the bridge. And this little town in Norwich Walk uh, bonded together. And that's what rural Maine can do. And that's why we serve. And that's why I'm so proud of where I was born and raised and and uh, I want to say thank you for reaching out and recognizing and doing the tribute to G. Oh, it was my honor. It was a it was a difficult one because um, I've lost fellow brethren in blue, and it's, it never gets easier, never ever. And uh, I understand what it's like when these guys and gals stand there at attention in line, uh, paying honor to those that gave their life for everyone else. And I'm going to start crying in a few seconds. <laughs> As my husband yeah. said, cops don't cry. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> well, but, uh, I, people can I, find you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I just said thank you. Just thank you again. It means a lot. Well, uh, people can find you if they want to know more about you and your campaign by going to Facebook. And it's Brad Farron for Senate, correct? That's correct. And how do you look in the polls so far? What are they showing you? They don't tell me because they don't want me to know. But I I think we're doing, (laughs) you know, we're working our tails off. We got 17 days. We're knocking on doors. We're doing the social media. We get the mailings, and and we're just being out there with our family and friends. And uh, like to think we're running on what we have done the last four years uh, with uh, some legislation. You know, the answer isn't always more law. Sometimes it's cleaning up the stuff that, that, that we've made a mess of before and, and actually reducing some legislation and and uh, keeping keeping people informed. And I, I, I'm very optimistic. I, uh, I I have faith in people, and, and the feedback's been phenomenal, and we're just going to keep working our plan until November 6th. God bless you for that, and uh, good luck on the campaign. Uh, I just want to see the, the country start to turn redder and redder and redder after each and every one of these elections. We need to get that conservative message and voice out there. And uh, thank you for your service, too, uh, in the military. I thought I put up that picture of you holding the uh, machine gun. It's, like, it's up on the, uh, the video right now. <laughs> that, 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 drive, that drives the liberals a little crazy. That's on my, that's on, that's on the, my uh, main state house base, uh, official page as well. So people know pretty much where I stand. <laughs> God, guns, and guts. That's where we stand, right? There you go. You got it. I think I should have a T-shirt made up that. God, guns, and guts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So um, I want to thank you for joining us, Brad. You know, I know I got a hold of you yesterday, so I wasn't able to delve as much into an interview with you as I would like to. I had so much other stuff that was going on. But, you know, I want to give you my support. And hope people out there listening in Maine vote for you. Well, thank you so much. And if you uh, you folks make it up here to Maine sometime, the lobster's on me. <laughs> you got that. <laughs> All right, you I'm got in. That for sure. Here, I knew they'd right. go. I knew they'd get a response. All right, I'm in. Take care. <laughs> All right, Brad Farron, check him out. Uh, Brad Farron for Senate. 
over on Facebook. Uh, Curtis, this is all we got for the show. I mean, the show is going just so fast. I'm sorry that Mark Robinson did not pull in, uh, but I'll get a hold of him, see if I can get him to reschedule. Um, We've got, good Lord, we're already almost to the end of the month already. We've got next week, Jennifer Carroll will be joining us, uh, former lieutenant governor of Florida. And South Carolina GOP, Drew McKissick, is going to be joining us. We'll be talking about <laughs> the upcoming elections. And then um, on next Friday, we've got Frank Miniter walking, uh, coming back on. His book that was recently released, uh, Spies in Congress, uh, will be go- joining us. And Gregory Wrightstone um, will be talking about global warming. <laughs> so we got some great guests lined up, and uh, that's all we got for today, unless you got something else. No, just just that, you know, everybody be safe over the weekend. I will be seeing Mark Sunday, so I'll get some more information and get a commitment for him to show, you know, show up on the show. All right, great. All right, so I'm going to leave everyone with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Until then, I say good night and God bless. <laughs>